Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Kings, that is Malachim Bet. We are in chapter 6, that is Perak Vav, and we are about to read Pasuk Ches, that is verse 8. The, in the beginning of the previous podcast, I reminded you to keep in mind the story that preceded this chapter. That was the story of Naaman, who was the officer who was the right-hand man of the king of Aram, and how Naaman was cured of his sarat, of his um, leprosy, by Elisha, and this about how Naaman asked Elisha at the end, after he cured him of leprosy, uh, Naaman said he understood and he swore allegiance to the God of Israel, and he asked Elisha, and, and, and he came to the understanding of the entire concept of monotheism, that it isn't just that the, king of, the God of Israel is, is more powerful than the other gods, but that he is the only God. And that he was convinced of this because of Elisha's uh, generosity and humility, because Elisha refused to receive any gifts or money from what he had offered. And he saw, you know, and he didn't do it with all pomp and circumstance and all kinds of craziness. So, so, uh, and then we also learned of the uh, how Gehazi tried to take advantage of the situation and acted selfishly and tried to take some money from Naaman himself, and how Elisha was concerned that Naaman didn't learn the lesson. And I also meant, told you to remember how Naaman, Naaman said, "When I go back to Aram and I serve my king, I'm going to have to pretend that I'm still loyal to Aram and Aram's gods. That's God with the little g." And pretend when I go to the temple with the king that I'm still bowing to that God. In other words, that he won't learn that I'm actually loyal to the, king, to the God of Israel instead. I told you to keep that in mind because that's going to make a... Uh, I, I want you to think about that situation as we read this, 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 uh, chap, this uh, portion of the chapter that we're about to read now. So verse 8. Umelech Aram, the king of Aram, Israel. He was waging war against Israel. We've repeatedly we've learned of his raids and wars against Israel. So that's just he was just an implacable enemy. And he would take advice from his his um, his servants, saying as follows: ploni almoni tachanosi. Right? He, uh, and he would say, you know, after having discussion with his counselors, they would decide where are we going to camp in order to launch our next raid against the people of Israel. So we're going to, this next time we're going to launch a raid from this and this place. And whenever that would happen, whenever he would decide to set up camp in a certain spot, the man of God, which is the term that has referred the way Elisha has been referred to as the man of God he would send a message Yisrael, to the king of Israel Lamar saying as follows now remember that despite the fact that Elisha had, was strongly admonished the king of Israel and really couldn't uh, and, and significantly criticized him because of his because of his evil idol worship and so on, and we'll see some even worse names Elisha's going to call the king as we go through these next chapters. But he was still, of course, the prophet of Israel and with the in mind to protect the people of Israel. So whenever the, the king of Aram would decide to camp in such a place, the prophet of God would warn the king of Israel, don't pass by that place. Because that's where Aram is camping. In other words, move your troops 
to uh, protect us from that spot. And the king of Israel would then send a message to the place where the, the uh, prophet of God, Elisha, had told him. And he would warn those people there that the people, that the people of Aram are coming. Remember, the Aram used to make these raids. And one of those raids is where they captured the young girl who was a servant in Naaman's household. So and this kept on happening, not just once and not just twice. This happened repeatedly over and over again. Now, the king of Aram was very, his heart was very shaken, agitated. He was upset over this because all of his plans kept on getting foiled. And he called out to his servants, and he said to them, tell me, who among us is a traitor who's a traitor and constantly reporting our military positions to the king of Israel now it should the 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 uh, many of the commentaries understand this to be that Elisha knew this through prophetic knowledge right you know he was a prophet so he knew and he understood in a miraculous way and that's kind of the traditional way of understanding these verses however the uh, um, rationalists would explain this very differently, and that actually Elisha had very wisely set up Naaman as an inside spy, right? Which is why Elisha, we can understand even more why Elisha understood how Naaman needed to demonstrate his loyalty even when, um, when uh, you know, bowing to the god, that small g god of the people of Aram. So very likely that he actually did have a spy and somehow Naaman was, was sending the information to him and therefore Elisha knew. So the understanding of Elisha doing this through an extremely smart maneuver, right, versus doing this through miraculous means, one learns completely different lessons from this story, which we've seen repeatedly over and over again, depending on how you interpret the verses, whether you take a rationalist approach or whether you take a more miraculous type approach, the lessons learned are very different. But here, if, uh, the, the lesson would be learned that Elisha had taken significant preparations in order to protect the people of Israel and plant a spy who's loyal to Israel in the court of the king of Aram. And the king of Aram suspected this, but he would never suspect Naaman because, of course, Naaman... It goes and bows to the God uh, uh, with him, and he, he, he seems to be a loyal servant of his. And he was, of course, as we said before, a major military leader for Aram. And how we understand the story will affect how we learn the rest of the story as well. But let's keep on going and see that. And one of his servants said, and let's assume that this would might even be Naaman, but it's not named, it's not said that way deliberately partly in a way to make us feel the secretiveness of this lo Adoni HaMelech, right? No, there's no traitor here, my master, the king. Elisha HaNavi Asher Li Yisrael, Elisha the prophet, who is a prophet in Israel, Yagid LaMelech Yisrael, he will tell the king of Israel, even those things, those private matters which you speak in your bedroom, he knows everything because he's the prophet. So he's informing the king of Israel. That's all. That's what's happening here. So Vayomer and the king, now the king 
clearly still suspects. Now, this is not the way everyone understands this story, but it's the way I understand it, and it seems to be the clearest from these words. The king clearly still suspects, and we'll see why in a minute, that, that there's a plant, that there is a spy. Because the king, we'll see in a moment, isn't afraid of Elisha. If, if Elisha was saying this through a prophetic means and, and he was, had such power and everything to do something like that, then clearly the king uh, would be afraid to go after him. But the king is not afraid, which a lot of the commentaries try to struggle with trying to understand why the king is not afraid. But, we're, the, but I understand it because the king realized that there probably is a plant. He just doesn't know who it is, and he won't, of course, suspect the mo- what to us seems to be the most obvious candidate. I want you to go and find out where this prophet is because I want to send my messengers out and go nab this guy because he's such a troublemaker. Because he's stopping our ability to, uh, to win our military victories. He's making a fool out of us. You know where he is? He's in Dosan. That's where he is. Uh, Dosan would be familiar to those that, are, that remember from way back in Genesis where that is where uh, the brothers of Joseph were hanging out. Uh, how that's related to this, you can think about that. But um, regardless, that's where Elisha is. So, and one would wonder with how how did this person in the court of Aram know where Elisha is? So, one one way of understanding is it's just well known. Everybody knows where the prophet is because people go and talk to him and ask advice and so on. So that's where he's hanging out. All right, fine. So, so, of course, knowing he's going to capture this prominent guy, he's going to send a lot of horses and riders and a tremendous army, uh, a, a big a whole battalion, right? And they came in the middle of the night and they surrounded the city within which Elisha was uh, uh, residing. And Elisha, of course, is not a military guy. He's a prophet. And the only people that are accompanying him are the B'nai his disciples, so they're not exactly well equipped to, to defend themselves against a massive army. So Then the, the servant, the right hand, the top student of the prophet of God, he woke up early in the morning lakum, uh, to, to, to get up, you know, to rise. And he went out of whatever tent or home they were living in. Maybe it was that home that they built before. And there's a whole army surrounding the city with horses and riders. Uh-oh, right? So the, um, the, his, his servant, his, his, the young man, this one is not named, right? Whoever took over Gehazi's position after Gehazi was banished, like we saw in the last chapter. Uh-oh, our master. What are we going to do, Right? So Vayomer al Tira. Elisha said, Don't worry. There are many more uh, fighters, so to speak, among us. He doesn't say the word fighters, but there are many more among us than there are with them. We have the, major- the advantage of the majority, which was obviously not the case. And the student is looking at Elisha, what are you talking about? Elisha Vayomar. And Elisha at the goes and prays to God. Now, this is very, very fascinating because this is the first time prior to what is maybe, in some understandings, presented as a miracle, right, that Elisha prays to God for a miracle. 
or first some help. In, uh, before every other supposed miracle that we've seen until now, those that interpret these as miracles, that is, right? We've seen that Elisha just does them, but here he prays. And I'm going to suggest how a rationalist understands this as to why he prays. Because he looks to God, he prays to God, open up the eyes of this young man, right? Uh, his eyes, and let him see. And immediately God opened the eyes of this young, uh, this young student. And he saw full of horses and chariots made of fire that were surrounding Elisha. Now, one way of understanding this is taking it literally. He looked and he saw that the exactly as described, horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha, and then he realizes that Elisha has the strength and the might of God behind them, which is why he should not be afraid. However, the other way of understanding this is the purpose and the reason why in this case uniquely Elisha prayed to God is in order to show the student where he gets his strength from. And the image of the fiery horses and chariots that he saw surrounding his, his teacher, Elisha, is an image of someone who gets it and realizes that we can get through this. We'll get through this somehow. I don't know how, but we have to do what we can to get through the situation. And if we do it th this way, we will have the help and the aid of Almighty God, who is more powerful than the people surrounding us. That would be the understanding of this first in the rationalist way and that then the question of why suddenly Elisha davens and prays the answer becomes obvious why and only in this case because he's asking he's doing that in order to demonstrate where his strengths come in front of this student do a love and then uh, the the uh, people of Aram came to attack they saw Elisha he's the guy they came for so they started charging down, you know, towards him in order to capture him. So, and Elisha prayed to God and said, Strike this nation with Sanveirim. Sanveirim is generally, it's, it's translated often as blindness, but it means a specific type. It's a blindness which one gets from being struck by a light. When one sees a light, Right, that a flash of light that's too bright, one becomes temp like temporarily blinded and confused, like the light of uh, like if imagine if you're driving on a highway and suddenly you turn around a curve and bam, the sun is right in your face. That's sanveirim. sanveirim and again, this prayer, if you look at it as a miracle, then it would be a story of. Uh, a miracle from God, which is certainly one way of understanding the story. A rationalist approach to this would be that when they looked and they saw Elisha, knowing the stories that they knew about Elisha and knowing who he was, suddenly they, they, they were blinded by the bright and beautiful light of this holy man in front of them and they realized that they shouldn't be chasing him, right? Rather, they should be following him. So therefore, immediately, Elisha, Elisha said to them, this is verse 19, This is not the way, and this is not the city that you're looking for. Follow me. And I will take you to the man that you're really looking for. right? The one who your real enemy is. 
who would be the king, and therefore he took them to Samaria. Mind you, the way I'm reading this verse is not the way many of the traditional commentaries understand it. The way they understand it, if you look at it as if he actually blinded them in a miraculous way, then you'll understand he's saying, I'll show you how to find Elisha. But if you look at it in the way I read it, Elisha is telling them, now that they've been blinded, in other words, blinded, so to speak, kind of blindness, this flash of light, meaning they saw the prophet and realized they were on, they were they shouldn't be chasing after him. Elisha says, "No, I'll bring you to the person who you really want to go after." And that is in the capital, Shomron, Samaria. That's where you should go. So he led them there by Yikif. So here he is, Elisha, leading this entire army of people that initially came to capture him, and he's leading him to the king. And why is Elisha leading him to the king? Leading them to the king. We'll see that in a moment. This is going to be fascinating. And it was when they came to Samaria, to the capital. And Elisha said, Let open up the eyes of these people so that they should see. And God opened their eyes because Elisha instructed them and told them, look, see where you are now, we are in the capital, the enemy capital, Shomron. Here, Elisha wants you to learn a lesson. Elisha is telling them, open up your eyes and see, this is the enemy capital. This is what you came uh, ultimately to attack and invade, this land, and here you are in the capital. So immediately, and, and apparently the king was there, who was present at the time. Elisha led them straight to the palace. So the king of Israel says to Elisha, so when he sees this entire battalion of enemy soldiers, the king is so impressed by what is done, he calls and refers to the, the uh, prophet as Avi, my, my father, right? Which is a common... Uh, we've learned, we've had this several times already, that this was a word that one would call someone that they look up to, especially, specifically the prophet. The king, in awe of what Elisha has done, says, let's kill him, right? Because these are our enemy soldiers, right? Isn't this what the end result should be? And here comes the most incredible, incredible lesson that Elisha wants to teach them. And hopefully drive home the lesson that he tried to teach Naaman before, but unfortunately, Gehazi messed up. And what is that lesson? Something which is, was, at the time, completely unknown in the laws of warfare. In almost every war we've seen, the victor killed off all of his enemies, no matter what. Even when they were on the chase, they would kill them, right? The concept of once your enemy is subdued, to treat them well, is something that, or at least treat them humanely, is, is, a, is a modern law of war, which was completely new in those days. Right? So Elisha says to the king, Don't kill them. Right? Have you captured them with your sword, right? And with your bow that you should be striking them? In other words, are, did you, are, is this in a battle where you're fighting them with a sword and bow that you should strike them down? No, they're here as, as, um, as cap prisoners of war. Sim lechem Feed them. They're yours now. They're not enemies anymore. They're harmless now. They're in, city, they're in the capital city surrounded by your soldiers. Give them food. He gave them food and drink. And he told them, go back to your master. This is how you treat a prisoner of war. And this led to at least a momentary, at least a temporary pause in hostilities. Aram 
being so impressed by how these soldiers were treated when they were captive, when they were literally in their hands, this is the lesson Elisha wanted to teach. Vayichre lohem keragidola, and um, uh, based on the instruction of Elisha, he he prepared for them a huge feast. Vayochlu vayishdu, they ate and they drank. Vayishalchem, and he sent them back to Aram. Vayelchu al Adonaim, they went back to their king. Vlo yasvu od gidudei Aram lovo beeretz Yisrael, and then. The uh, raiding parties of Aram no longer came to raid in the land of Israel. A completely new concept in a way of, of, of making peace with enemies by treating prisoners of war with respect. And this was what Elisha was trying to accomplish and what he achieved. Unfortunately, it won't last long because in the next verse, which we will study together in the next podcast, Aram is already causing trouble again. But this is, at least for the moment... He achieved peace in, in a completely new and revolutionary way. Thank you so much for studying this together. Looking forward to studying the rest of chapter 6 together and, of course, the rest of this book. Have a wonderful day.